1: Welcome to the Twelve hike Podcast, where we talk about all the ways you can get outdoors. I'm Zach Jenkins. Thanks for listening. I'm convinced of something. I think the graduating class of 2004 in Northwest High School is probably the most interesting high school class ever. And today's conversation pretty much sealed the deal for that. Uh, I sat down and talked to Brian. He's a uh, former classmate. We graduated high school together. And after looking at his Facebook page, I realized he used falcons to hunt. So naturally, again, my curiosity was piqued and I had to talk to him. It's a lot more in-depth than I thought, and it sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Well, uh, shit, I haven't talked to you since high school. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> what What have you been into? Did you go to the military? Yeah, uh, straight straight
2: out of high school. Um, went in the Army and got shipped off to Iraq like two weeks after uh, finishing AIT and, and basic training. And uh, so after touring Iraq, it was... I was like, well, I might as well just go, you know, full-time active duty, and uh, ended up in Texas for quite a few years at Fort Hood, and finally ended up getting uh, medically retired, and uh, went to West Virginia for a little bit, a couple different parts of Ohio, and
1: uh, <laughs> Did you end up back home, back in Soda County? I'm I'm close, I'm uh, in a little town
2: called Bainbridge, which is up oh, in uh, yeah. Ross County, so you know, I'm like 40, I'm like 45 minutes from, uh, from McDermott and down around home. So
1: Let, let's face it. That's still, I mean, that's about as almost as soda County as it gets.
2: Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: What made you decide to go in the army? Uh,
2: well, originally it was just going to be, you know, a way to, to help pay for college and, and whatever. So I, I just did the national guard thing was, that was my plan at least, you know, do the national guard and I can pay for college that way. And um and like i said after i just immediately got sent over for a tour in iraq i was just like oh well that might as well just you know make a make a job of this if i'm going to keep getting sent over here so uh i was going to give it the you know the 20 years the uh, that was the goal but they had uh they had different ideas and decided uh i wasn't
1: wasn't up to par anymore so yeah well, it's. I'm glad that uh, you actually were able to make it back to Bainbridge. I know uh, during that time, that was probably a pretty scary place. Yeah, it, uh, it was, well, you know, I mean,
2: at that time, a little younger and not as uh, uh, o- aware <laughs> of the dangers and whatnot you're in, you know, so I was doing route clearance, I was digging bombs up out of the roads over there and stuff and uh
1: oh shit yeah, no looking,
2: way looking looking back on it i'm like oh yeah that uh, that could have went wrong
1: <laughs> wow you could have met jesus real quick
2: yeah yeah so <laughs> but uh made it made it through all that fine and uh, uh still worked out still used it to pay for college after it was all said and done just uh, was a little longer route than initially had planned
1: jeez well, now, and now here you are. Uh, I've been watching a lot of your little scope cam videos of your deer mm-hmm. hunts. Uh, I, were, were you always a hunter? I didn't think yeah, you were in yeah. high school.
2: Um, You know, I mean, in high school, it wouldn't have seemed like it because, you know, at that time I was doing a lot of, you know, whatever, the skating and BMX and, you know, it, that kind of stuff. Uh, um, but, yeah, no, I, from as uh, long as I can – remember really my, I had some uncles that took me fishing and hunting all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they introduced me to it and you know, I mean, it started out as uh, I started squirrel hunting, uh, you know, probably when I was like 10 or so. Um, mm-hmm. just going out there and, and uh, doing it myself and then, uh, you know, got into, got into deer hunting and uh, uh, eventually did a little bit of uh coyote hunting um for a while uh brandon smith got me into that actually for a little bit years ago
1: yeah that guy's Uh, a savage
2: yeah and uh so yeah no i mean it's just been it's been something i've always done just you know not uh not something i made a a big part of my life until here recently
1: now and uh what's what's made the difference in making it a little bit bigger part of your life here recently uh i i think a big part of just
2: um you know the the time and money to be able to, to really just uh kind of dive into it the way i always would have liked um and, uh, and, and my kids too um you know i i remembered how big of a thing it was for me um when my uncle's taught me all this and, and you know and and my first time uh, and just all those emotions and excitement, you know, you get the very first time you, you, uh, get something in your sights and, and all that, get something down. And, um, wanted to share that with, with my kids and, in the process of, of trying to teach them and introduce them. It kind of, you know, bit, bit me again, real hard. <laughs>
1: That's, I know I was watching the, the video of, what was it, you and your son, were you target shooting a little bit? And, uh, that kid looks like oh, he's going to yeah. be a bonafide killer
2: yeah yeah that was my that was my youngest he uh that was his
1: first time uh getting getting to shoot anything so <laughs> i know uh for me i never i've never been a big deer hunter until i moved out here uh, and i spent all of august chasing mule deer in the mountains and i thought i was going to die yeah it's a little different kind of hunting out there oh man i, I didn't realize it was going to be that hard and <laughs> just finding them you know back in ohio jesus it they, they seems like they're everywhere uh, but out right. here, out here, there's just thousands and thousands of, you know, public land acres that you've got to kind of wade through. I just, you know, I, I bought a bow. I was like, oh, I'll practice a little bit. It'll be all right. Mm-mm, doesn't work that way. Uh, there's a lot more involved in it than what I had anticipated. Right. Yeah. That's that's part of the that's
2: part of it though. It's part of the fun.
1: Uh,
2: I guess. You know, but. You know it's one of those things where you know you're 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 like oh man you know it's it's hard out here but at the same time somebody that's never hunted out there it's like man i wish i could go out there and,
1: and hunt you know and, uh, well and you know i was i'm not i wasn't disappointed after this season i saw more deer this year than i ever have and i've been uh you know in proximity to them at the right times just uh you know always a bad beat you know the wind was blowing the wrong way or Uh, just luck didn't work out in my favor and it it really kind of reinvigorated me next year a i'm not going to go bow hunting i'm going to have a rifle Uh, if i would have had a rifle it would have been over five times this year i could have shot (laughs) anything Uh, but i think next year like i i tried to spread myself kind of thin i wanted to do like the big game trifecta i wanted to get a mule deer an elk an antelope that's not realistic for me anyway uh, so I think next year I'm going to focus on rifle mule deer. I'm going to get one under my belt and then, you know, start to, to culture that a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And, uh, it, you know, it's a little bit different style of, of hunting out there. I'm sure it's a bit more, uh, you know, stalking style of hunting. It, it probably pays off a lot better there, um, you know, compared to here in Ohio if, if you've got a good place to sit you know you you can just sit and wait and you and you usually have some luck uh, but you at least the part you're, i assume you got some pretty pretty open vast areas
1: uh, yeah that's have you been out this way ever
2: i i've i've drove through um uh, mm-hmm. i drove I drove a truck there for a, a while and um uh, so i've been out through but never really got to to hang around and and <clears throat> I know different parts of the state. It you know it varies a good bit. The landscape.
1: Yeah, that that's what really took me by surprise. You know, you you get into Kansas and you think, well, this shit is just nothing but flat land. I can't wait to get to Colorado because there's going to be some some landscape and mountains. And you get in the eastern Colorado and you're like, well, crap, it's just as flat here as it was in Kansas. <laughs> uh, but where we live, it's you know it's the Front Range. I can see the mountains out my back door, and, and it is it's. It's a very dynamic environment.
2: Oh, that's that's awesome. Uh, I mean, Getting to use high-powered rifles, that'll uh, that will be nice. That'll help a lot. I wish uh, we could do that here. Um, we got straight wall cartridges now, so that's, that's a little better.
1: That's something. I think it's a step in the right direction. But here's the thing that gets me. You know, you can hunt coyote with a high-powered rifle. Yep. Why, yep. why can't you go ahead and deer hunt with a high-powered rifle? Right,
2: right. And, you know, the at least the prevailing, you know, reason is that, uh, you know, oh, well, the straight wall cartridges, you know, they only got about 250 yards before, you know, they're they're going to you don't have to worry about them flying forever and stuff. Well, like you said, we can use them for, for coyotes, so they're obviously not that worried about
1: rifle rounds being able to travel far. Maybe yeah. it's just the sheer number of people, because how many people honestly coyote hunt versus... that—that That is true. Yeah,
2: definitely a drastic uh, difference in the number of people that participate in those two sports, so that, that, that is a good point.
1: And I think that was the other thing that always scared me about deer hunting in Ohio. Uh, just my perception of it is you've got a lot of people that for one week out of a year, they turn into a hunter, and uh, they don't really follow safety guidelines like I'd like, and it, it gets kind of scary i i agree i am not
2: one to uh i'm I'm not big on hunting public land if i can help it um for for that reason you know even um well that's even you know like taking the bird hunting um i really end up kind of iffy on uh trying my luck with with public land uh because i don't trust somebody to not see my bird and take a shot at it, even though they, you know, shouldn't and it's illegal.
1: Let's talk about that. Okay. First of all, do you know a little bit of the history of, of falconing where it started and all that good jazz? Uh,
2: you know, g- general, um, we don't really have, you know, uh, a set, uh, you know, date and, and, um, you know, hey, this is when it started, mm-hmm. but it's generally believed, um, you know, about, about 4,000 years, uh, that we know of as, as far as just recorded information. And that, um, comes from Asia mainly. Um, so it seems to have started, um, in the, in the Asian area of, of the world and, and spread from there, um, you know, likely traders and, and what have you, uh, seen it and like, oh you know this is cool and, and picked it up and took it back to their respective uh areas of the world um it was real big in, in europe uh through the middle ages especially um but uh it, it it's something that uh has been done in, in various parts of the world for for a long time um in slightly different ways uh,
1: what was the original reason was it always a hunting thing for small game Uh, it's believed that it you know it was a hunting thing um especially uh it
2: in asia there's still there's a group of people they use i forget the name of the birds they're it's not a bird of prey but they um they still use these birds to catch fish uh they have these long poles and and um they have these birds out on them and they go out on boats and they and they use these birds to catch fish so um it's believed that it it started um you know, as a as a hunting sport, as a way to to catch uh, game, and when it made its way to Europe, especially during the Middle Ages, um, it took on a nobility role essentially, where you had, um, you know, it was considered a wealthy person's sport and, and activity, uh, to the point where, um, you know, certain species of birds were, you know, could only be kept and flown by, you know, your lords and, and what have you, and um, your, your lower-ranking people in the community, they, they may only be allowed, a, um, you know, a, what was considered a lower-end bird, if you will. So, um, and it's, it's changed over the years. Um, in the Middle East right now, um, it's very much a, a sport. Uh, there's not much of a hunting aspect left to it at all. They, they race them. Um, and it's all about breeding and stuff. So, um, you know, they've, they've kind of lost that hunting aspect of the sport, but here in the U S, um, that is, it's very much what it's all about. It is, it is a hunting sport. Um, and not to say that there isn't some people that, you know, we call pet keepers and what have you, um, (laughs) but uh you know to to do it you have to have a hunting license and and you are supposed to be hunting the bird
1: it's so strange guys i seen that you're you got into this thing and i thought my first thought was well how the heck do you even catch one or do you buy them or you caught yours didn't you
2: yes uh here in the u.s um you when you're an apprentice when you first get started
1: um now it (laughs) hold on it can there's a oh, hierarchy yeah. like you start off as an apprentice and then work your way up the the ladder
2: yep yes yes sir um it's a two-year apprenticeship you have to find a uh, a general or a master ranked falconer um and they have to be willing to take you on uh for two years for your apprenticeship um from from that point after your two years
0: Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
2: Then after um, five more years, um, you can upgrade to uh, a master falconer rank.
1: Wow. Okay. All right. So, yeah, you start off as an apprentice and we were talking about catching your bird. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there.
2: Oh, no, that's all right. Yeah, um, so in, in the U.S., and it, it varies a little bit from state to state. Um, some, some states do allow things to be a little different, but in general, uh, a lot of places, uh, the apprentice has to uh, trap their, their first bird, and, for example, here in Ohio, your choices are a red tail hawk or an American kestrel. Those are the two birds we're allowed to trap. Um, once you move beyond apprentice, um, then you can get into having other species um, and, and buying
1: captive bred and, and all that. Is there an advantage to having a wild-caught bird versus a captive-caught bird? Um, so one, one of the... And
2: I guess this is an advantage more for the bird than it, than it is for the falconer. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, with the red tail hawk, uh, their survivability rate in their first year of life is is pretty low. Something around like 80% don't make it through their first year. Um, so with us trapping, you know, if we, we because we have to trap what's called a passage bird. It's a bird that's in its first year of life. So my bird that I have right now um, hatched out earlier this year in the spring. And so that allows us to to take this bird. Um, help train it to hunt, you know, keep it, and it'll make it to a breeding age, uh, at which point we can, we can let it go and it can go back into the wild and and help, uh, you know, with the breeding population, uh, for the falconer, the benefits, um, a, a wild caught bird, a passage bird, um, one, it likely already has some hunting experience under its belt on its own. So, you know, it's at least got, some foundation there. Um, and then there's other little things. Uh, they tend to not be as vocal. Um, they won't make as much noise and and uh, and they won't be... Often they're not as aggressive um, because there are some species, so red-tailed hawk, for example, um, you know, if you catch a wild passage bird, once you have them uh, manned or, or trained down, they're pretty reasonable. Uh, but if you bought a captive bred one and it imprints you know it s- sees you as one of its own essentially um they can be a little more aggressive with you because they just think of you as another hawk essentially and and they'll be a lot more vocal about everything so some people aren't, aren't as fond about all that
1: i wouldn't think about a bird as being that uh, attachable i guess i would say this to me they're they, they wouldn't be capable of, of forming bonds like that, but is that not the case uh, it, it, that
2: happens with um, the imprints, which okay. is you know when it's uh, either a baby chick that's pulled from the nest um, or you've you've bought it um, you know from a breeder and, and if you have them from that that young of an age uh, they will uh, imprint on you and Like I said, they end up viewing you as one of them, essentially, and they'll uh, treat you as such. And sometimes that's where you know the aggressiveness and uh, whatnot can come from because they're just treating you like they would, you know, a a sibling or another another hawk.
1: Um, In the wild, how long do uh, hawks stay as like a family, or do they split up pretty quickly?
2: uh, It it varies some. between species, um, most pairs when, once they're they're paired with a mate, um, that's that's who they stick with until you know something happens and you know, maybe one of them dies or what have you. But once paired up, they they that's generally who they're who they're with.
1: And what about their offspring? Do they stick around for like that first year until they're out of that juvenile stage and then go off and do their uh, own thing?
2: Uh, again, you know, I mean, it, it varies from species, so you know for example um you know like bald eagles people are real familiar with those um they have a longer period to reach maturity and their their young will tend to hang around um sometimes for for years in the same area that their their parents um nest at every year uh other species you know like the red-tailed hawk that i have um it's not as long the whole um They'll hang around for some, – some of them will hang around for a good chunk of that first year. Mm-hmm. Um, others, the, the parents may uh, may take off, and uh, the juvenile will hang around in, in that area they were born in for a while um, before they, they take off. Um, but generally it's not uh, – it's nowhere near as long as, as say, like a bald eagle, um, and that's just uh, due to – their rate of maturity, you know, how quickly they reach breeding age and and all that. And, And like I said, it varies, uh, from species to species.
1: Okay. Uh, whenever you trapped your Hawk, this is the second Hawk you've trapped recently. Is that correct? Yes. Well,
2: we've, we've trapped, we trapped a lot this, this year, but this is the, the second one that I've, I've kept.
1: Okay. The first one died, didn't it?
2: Yes. It, uh, uh, had uh, it's it's called asper uh, I'm not saying that right at all. We call it <laughs> we call it asper for short. Okay. Um, it is a, a respiratory infection um, that they they sometimes uh, can get, and it's one of those things that um, there's very little you can do. That's like a 95 percent mort- mortality rate. Mm. Um, so by the time uh notice the symptoms uh there wasn't really a whole lot could could do about it um but you know it's it's uh it's part of the sport you know it's just one of those uh things you got to deal with that that kind of stuff happens um the same way with uh with injuries and stuff during the hunting season um i got a buddy his his hawk uh lost a toe last year so
1: oh geez Uh, So what's the trap look like to catch one of these things? And what's the process in trapping one?
2: So we generally use what's called a Balshatri trap or a BC trap. And it's essentially a small wire cage uh, that you can place uh, bait into, you know, a a mouse, gerbil, what what have you, whatever you want to use. And this cage is covered with nooses usually made out of like monofillip fishing line or um, like a, a thin steel wire leader something like that and it's a slip noose and it's just covered in them and we drive around um, you know look for them sitting on a pole or a power line or in a tree and uh, toss the trap out the window underneath them and uh, just wait for them to come down and when they come down to try and grab uh, the mouse or whatever you have in the cage um hopefully their their feet end up getting caught in one of those nooses that's covered in the trap and then we just roll up real fast and toss a towel over um over top of them so they calm down and can't see and uh and you know get them loose
1: and go from there (laughs) wow so it's kind of like catching a pokemon a little bit
2: yeah yeah it's very it's it's, (laughs) it's fun uh you know trapping is is just as fun as uh actually taking the birds hunting
1: in my opinion it's it's a lot of fun do you have to have some kind of license or something to go out and trap them or can just like could i go out and trap one if i wanted to
2: no you, you you have to have um uh you have to be a licensed falconer so that means you have to have a sponsor and have taken your exam and had your inspections and all that and then um if then you can you know apply uh to get your raptor capture permit which, you know, will actually allow you to go
1: go capture one. Huh. All right. Well, there's more regulations to that than I thought. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of
2: regulations to this, this sport.
1: <laughs> okay, after you trap them, calm them down. Uh, once you get them in your possession, when, when do you start training them and what's the first thing you do when you get them back to your house?
2: Uh, in a way, the training starts immediately um pretty much from the moment uh you get them off the trap uh you place a hood on their head which uh prevents them from being able to see anything darkens their vision and that puts them in a very calm state when they can't see anything they generally won't you know try to fly try to you know get away do anything like that um so from that moment you know you're you're holding the bird you're talking to it um you're getting used to the sound of your voice um and and as far as once you get home um everybody has their own methods and in falconry you'll you'll often get a different opinion on everything and and you know it's one of those things everybody has their right way of doing it um but uh For for me, uh, the first thing I get home is I just put it on its perch, uh, leave the hood on it, you know, in a dark, quiet room, um, and I'll leave it that way for that first night. Um, The next day, I'll get it, um, I'll get it up on the glove, um, and then I'll just sit there with it on the glove with the hood still on, just talking to it, you know, letting it get used to the voice, and then eventually you slide the hood off and uh, at that point most of them will probably try to fly away but uh, you have them attached uh, to a leash to the glove and you just get them back up on the glove and you just kind of keep repeating that and it's just a slow process of getting them used to more and more things getting them to trust you more and more
1: do you use a reward system like you would a dog? Like every time they get back on your glove, do you give them a treat?
2: Uh, so the the reward system with them is, is food. Everything about uh, them is is food driven. You know their their entire lives is revolves around that. Um, so that is what we use, but you have to be very careful about when you use it, how you use it, uh, because they're very intelligent. And they will kind of train you if you don't watch. You know, <laughs> if they realize, hey, if I don't move, you know, for a while, he he ends up giving me something anyways. And and they'll do that. They'll take advantage of that. So uh, you got to be careful about how and when you reward them, and and be pretty firm about it. Um, so yeah, initially um, the biggest breakthrough at first is getting them to take a piece of food from you because uh, at first they won't. They generally won't want to do it um, once you get them to take a piece of food from you then you try to get them to take it a little bit lower and a little bit lower and that has them they have to bend their head over and in the wild an animal doesn't want to expose its neck to something, that's a death sentence usually Mm-hmm. So once you get that bird to bend its head all the way down to get that piece of food, that's a big trust uh, point right there. That's that's a big milestone. Um, and from that point, we just keep using the food to uh, get the actions we want. It, it goes from them just eating the food off the glove, you know, taking it from us, to uh, having to do a short little jump off of a perch to the glove, to flying across the room. You know, to, for them to get the reward, we keep asking more and, and more of them. We keep extending uh, what it is we want them to do,
1: and they can understand that.
2: Yeah, they pick it up um, super fast. I've I've seen guys, um, you know, have their bird uh, flying across the yard uh, five days after they took it off the trap. Um, generally it seems to be kind of a two to three week thing from off the trap to ready to hunt. Um, so it's, uh, it's a process that generally can go pretty quick.
1: How much time a day do you, do you usually put in with your bird?
2: Uh, during the whole, um, manning and training, and manning is our term for, um, getting the bird used to us handling them and, and being with them. Um, at, during that whole Phase, uh, I kept it at only an hour a day pretty much um, because it's it's one of the things you you don't if you if you drag it out too long you can run into some issues that you didn't want um, but you got you know you, you have to do enough time to get in the um, the, the goal, you know, to try to make some progress for that, for that day. And once you get that, um, generally I, I would, I, I would end it on a good note and allow the bird to kind of take in what all went on during that session until the next day.
1: Huh. Uh, so how long between you getting the bird, the, the, the training and the, the manning, when do you start hunting that bird? Um, like I said, I mean, it,
2: it kind of varies um with each person and each bird some birds just you know train a lot faster and better than others um for me i think it was right at three weeks um when she was ready to hunt um and she could have maybe uh been pushed a little sooner than that um but i had already you know trapped one bird and and had the health issues with that so I didn't want to rush things and and end up losing this bird. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, we kind of took it uh, a little slower and made sure that she was rock solid before, um, you know, was ready to free flyer and and attempt hunting.
1: Did you name your bird? I assume you did, but
2: yeah, her name is tater, which is (laughs) short for potato soup because I trapped her in a Panera bread parking lot in Columbus
1: how many and weird ass looks did you get trapping a bird in a panera <laughs> bread in columbus
2: i i'm sure there was probably plenty i was too focused <laughs> on what was going on to to pay attention to onlookers um but but yeah that's that's where i trapped her so i i picked something off the panera
1: bread menu to name her after <laughs> that's great do uh, do falconers prefer females over males or does it really matter
2: uh, generally, uh, most will prefer females, uh, because females are, are larger. So, um, you know, they're larger and they have bigger feet. So they're, should be more capable of taking, um, bigger prey, have a little easier time with, you know, rabbits, um, and stuff like some guys, um, they like the male. They think they're a little more. Um, agile and, and speedy and, and so maybe they can uh, get after squirrels and stuff a, a little more efficiently um, so it's it's you know everybody's got their their way they go but, but in general people go after a big female if they can
1: and as far as uh, I, got, I guess I got two questions the efficiency of using a falcon to hunt and the, the types of prey that you train them to hunt I assume it's all small game right
2: yeah and it's um you know that's one of those things it's it's gonna vary depending on where you live so um you know a red-tailed hawk here is is great for cottontail rabbits and, and squirrel um and they can take other other stuff uh, my buddy has took a goose um a few weeks back uh, is that a legal method to take for goose as long as you you got your your stamps and stuff yeah yeah okay interesting uh, but uh, so, somebody that lives out west, you know, in Texas, where have you, um, and, and they got the bigger jackrabbits, uh, they may choose, they'll, they'll, they may fly a different species. Or if they're somewhere where um, they're flying a lot of upland game, you know, pheasants and things like that, they're going to, you know, pick a falcon of some sort instead. So, it, it, you got to pick your bird based on what quarry you have available where you live.
1: It amazes me that you can train a bird to go out and find a rabbit. Do they bring it back to you? No, they won't bring it back to you. Okay.
2: Uh, so that's, that is one of the most common questions we get. Actually, I had a guy ask me that uh, when I took my bird hunting yesterday, I think it was. Um, but they... Uh, we want them to catch it and then stay on the ground with it so we can get to them and secure them and the prey item um, because if it's if it's a small enough prey item if they're capable and they fly up into a tree with it oh. well they're going to sit up there in that tree and eat until they're gorged and then they're not coming down out of that tree <laughs> so, oh, so we, we, we like for them to uh, bring the, the prey item down, down to the ground and, and remain there until we can get in there
1: and get them secured and traded off whatever they caught. How, how common is it that once they get that prey animal that they just, they ravage it? Um, it, it kind of varies on the individual. Um, some birds will just
2: start, you know, tearing in, um, right away. Um, and, and some, uh, won't, some will kind of sit there and just hold it and be looking around and be all mantled over it. Um, you know, worried about some, you know something coming to take it from them um so it just it kind of depends it's an individual thing on the birds
1: you've been a a gun hunter before for squirrel and rabbit mm-hmm. is is using a falcon more efficient than guns i assume not but is it more fun than using a gun it is uh definitely
2: not more efficient um so uh, my sponsor, I think he caught about 50 head of game with his bird last season, um, which is pretty good. That's impressive. That's pretty, you know, it's, it's not a bad number. Um, so, you know, once you have a bird that's – it hunts good, it's well-seasoned, and you have good spots for it. And it's a good thing about hunting with a hawk. A lot of times um, we can hunt in places a gun hunter is not allowed to hunt or not welcome to hunt. Um so that kind of helps for getting some really good spots sometimes. Um, but, you know, the, they they miss a lot. Um, so it's it's far more efficient to be a gun hunter. But uh, in my opinion, it's way more fun uh, hunting with the bird. Um, it's, it's just – it's one of those things uh, you almost kind of have to experience yourself in person to really uh, kind of understand – Uh, what it's all about and how much fun it is.
1: I've only had one experience, like, up close with a hawk taking a prey animal. Uh, I worked in an old building in Portsmouth, and it was just a big, long warehouse. And this hawk came flying through our warehouse, and we had pigeons real bad. And it snatched one of the pigeons out of the rafters, and it looked like it exploded the pigeon. It was the craziest (laughs) thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, looking at that and then thinking about what you guys do, it's it's got to be a, just amazing to watch them in action
2: oh it yeah it is and and that's um that's a big part of why i like uh squirrel hunting with the hawks um a lot of falconers especially more traditional and and, and older falconers been around for a while kind of look down on the squirrel hunting it's relatively new mm-hmm. um but you know if you if you're going after rabbit um, you know you kick it up and usually half the time you don't even notice you kicked it up and you just see the bird go dive bombing in and it crashes into the weeds somewhere you, you you don't really get to see much um same way with the falcons um you know if they're going after ducks or pheasant or whatever they're they're just soaring you know a thousand feet above your head and then they come zipping down and smash something and that that's it uh with the squirrels um we're a lot more involved you know we're we're hitting the trees with sticks we're if we see them you know we'll shoot uh marbles with a slingshot to make the squirrel move because a lot of times squirrels if they can they'll just freeze you know they'll find a spot in the tree and they'll just freeze there sure um so we you know we'll use slingshots to get them moving that way the bird notices them and goes after them and a lot of times you know the bird will miss its first attempt. The squirrel will jump off a branch or run around and the bird just keeps going after him. So for me, the squirrel hunting is, is way more fun because you're right there in the middle of it. You're seeing all of it and, and taking part of it a lot more so than other forms of hunting and falconry.
1: Will the bird get keyed in on one animal and just not stop until it gets it? Or does it kind of hit a point where it's like, okay, I got to give up on this one. Let's go to the next one.
2: Um, it it definitely will try to get, you know. Once it, it once it goes after one, it will make every attempt it can. I mean, even to the point they'll they'll run on the ground. They'll try to chase them on foot. Oh <laughs> <they> God, <laughs> uh, which is pretty comical usually. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know they'll make every attempt they can. Um, usually they'll. They'll only give up once they've lost full sight of it and even then um if they know it went up a specific tree or something a lot of birds will they'll jump back up and they'll ladder up and they'll they'll be looking for it to see if they still can find it mm-hmm. um so it but they i mean they do reach a point where if, if you don't if they're not seeing something if you don't have something moving and they'll you know they'll start looking around see if they can find something on their own <laughs>
1: How do you call them back to you whenever you're done hunting?
2: So we like it and it depends on the situation. If you're planning on doing more hunting that day or if you're done for the day or, mm-hmm. or what have you, but our, our first method is, is just a whistle and a couple of what we call tidbits, which are just small pieces of food for them. Um, and we'll just lay them on the glove and, and whistle them and they'll fly down to the glove to, to eat those um, because that's, that's a big part of what they did during their training process was flying repetitively to that glove um, on the whistle for food so that's the first way to get them down now when you're out hunting um, they don't always want to come down for that you know especially if they haven't got nothing and they're still in that hunting mode um, they won't want to just come down for a couple little tidbits on the glove so we have what's called the lure and usually attached to the lure is um, something they really really like so I use day old chicks little baby chickens uh-huh. um, and that's attached to this lure and they'll they're wed to that lure during the training process which means they just if they see it they're coming for that thing every time it's, it's kind of our fail safe backup plan if you need to get your bird back because they know that when they see that or they get that real long whistle that you know they're they're not just getting a couple little pieces of food they're getting to chow uh, down because we when well, we swing it on a string and stuff so they actually get to attack it and grab it and you know and it's um so it's more engaging and fulfilling for them so they they really like it
1: i'm not going to lie that part sounds a little bit morbid swinging a dead baby chick around in the air
2: yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's attached to a, a big leather thing, but, but yeah, it's, uh, there, there is some, you know, it's, it's not something for the squeamish, <laughs> uh, and, and we try to caution people with that because some, you know, there are some people that, uh, they don't really care about hunting or they don't want to do it as a hunting sport. They just, oh man, you know, can I have a pet hawk or something? That'd be really cool. Um, you know, so we, we do try to caution uh, people about that when they're inquiring about the sport, you know, that's one of the first. You know, do you hunt? Have you, you know, are you going to be okay? Because you know, sometimes they catch something and they don't kill it right away, and you got to get in there and you you have to you have to dispatch it. Um, so it one, it doesn't cause any harm to your bird, and and two, it doesn't you know suffer any longer than it has to.
1: It doesn't seem to me, me personally, I don't think I'd want a a bird of prey is just kind of like this novelty pet thing that I could show off. That seems kind of uh, cruel to the animal.
2: Yeah. Um, it, you'd be surprised though how common it, it is. And like I said, we in the ho- you know, in the sport or the hobby, whatever you want to call it, we, we refer to those people as pet keepers, um, because they, they do get in sometimes, you know, they, they get licensed and all that. And then, you know, you'll, you'll, They post pictures all the time of the bird, but you never hear anything about them hunting. You never see, you know, so it 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 does happen, Um, and and I agree. You know, I mean, hopefully those people at least are taking care of the bird to the best of their abilities, Um, but uh, that's I mean that's part of why. I like the idea of, of capture, capturing a wild bird that at some point I'm going to release versus, um, you know, buying a captive red bird, which I'm sure at some point uh, I'll most likely end up doing um, just because there's species that
1: aren't, you know, I can't capture here. They just don't, they don't exist here. So can you capture a bird from out of state and bring it to Ohio? Uh,
2: you, you can um, as long as you abide by both states' laws as far as importation of of domestic wild animals and whatnot, usually that involves uh, uh, getting a certificate of health from a veterinarian and uh, and getting a, an import permit from the DNR um, you know uh, as long as you follow all that stuff yeah you, you can do that. Uh, we actually had a guy um, this trapping season he came from Maryland. Um, and went trapping with us and, and, and we helped trap him a bird. Um, then he drove back to Maryland.
1: Wow. Uh, you mentioned at some point letting your bird go. Uh, how, when do you anticipate maybe your bird being let loose? And what are some of the things you'd look for? Be like, okay, she's done hunting. It's time to move on.
2: Um, there's a number of factors in that. Uh, one being her performance. Um, you know, not, not every bird's gonna be a good hunter and rocks, you know there's just some that um, don't. So you know if if after a season or two seasons she just is not a good hunter, which that's not going to be the case with her. She's already um, doing really great. Um, but uh, that would be one reason, you know, because it's, it's not much point as a hunting sport to have a bird that doesn't hunt well you
1: know um i can understand that because i've got a chocolate lab up there that i think is hopeless i think she's just a, a dumb house dog at this point
2: <laughs> yeah you know i mean at least you know with the, the you know house dog you kind of you're you're stuck with them in a way or whatever but it, you know with the bird it's like okay well i can just i can let you go back to the wild and you can do you know do your thing and hopefully you hunt better on your own than you do with me <laughs> uh, but uh but no i mean other than that um I'm not really sure personally um, I guess because uh, I'm one of those people I could end up really attached to her and like have her for a really long time before I would think about letting her go. Uh-huh. Um, but uh yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it goes after this season. Um, you know some guys they'll they'll trap a new bird every year um, that just seems like a man, lot of work. So- yeah, they just they, – they really – those people really enjoy the, the trapping and the training. Um, they just in, in, enjoy the whole uh, process uh, compared to just the specific – you know, just hunting itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely those people. You know, they'll, they'll trap a new one every year. Um, some people hold on to them for um, at least a couple years um, just so they can experience the, the changes in the bird's – behavior and hunting tactics as it you know matures and 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 learns uh after a couple seasons um and then you know they'll
1: let it go because it's at a at a breeding age Uh, so we'll see how long i end up holding on to her (laughs) do you know anything about how well the birds do after they've been let loose as far as their mortality rates uh
2: as far as we know um they they do pretty pretty well um there's not um you know nobody's done like a a huge big study on it with trackers and sure and and this and that um but uh just with raptor biology and 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 if if you release a bird that has been hunting uh pretty good with you um chances are they have a pretty big leg up on things um for example my bird i caught her you know in a panera bred parking lot <laughs> in columbus she didn't know how to hunt anything but mice uh-huh. um, so at first for a long time she she wouldn't perch very high on a tree um, and she would always be looking looking down and, and looking at me and I'd have squirrels like running in the same tree as her, ten feet away, and she's just like, "Uh huh, yeah, whatever," you know. Um, so I had to, I had to do a special training technique to, to teach her how to, uh, go after squirrels in the trees. Um, and now she knows how to do that. So, in a way, we can we can actually train them and and get them better at hunting a variety of things than. And they may learn on their own if they were trying to do it on their own wow
1: earlier you mentioned the different levels of of kind of like the apprenticeship and the master and all that stuff what level are you in right now are you still an apprentice
2: i'm an apprentice yep
1: yeah so what birds are available to you what can you track
2: uh, right now i can have a red-tailed hawk or an american kestrel
1: okay i thought i seen something about an owl
2: Yes, that is that is the wife's owl. Um, they
1: are uh, not a falconry bird, uh, so they're some... they're not in the raptor class. Uh, no, I mean they're a bird of, of prey. They're
2: um, they they don't make good falconry. There are, now there are some some falconers that have there are uh, some that have had success in hunting their owls. Uh, especially the diurnal owls that that will hunt during the daytime, um, but for the most part, uh, because of their differences to um, you know your hawks and falcons and whatnot, they uh, they don't train as well. They're not as suitable uh, for for a hunting partner. Um, so he he actually it's kind of a rescue situation. Um, he came from. Uh, a small zoo type place private zoo type place um and he has a broken wing rumor rumor is his wing was broke on purpose so he would sit on a perch longer for Uh people to take photographs with Uh um you know but that's that's just rumor and what have you um but so we 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 took him took him in and uh just trying to un- undo some of the the damage that's been done. He's you know he wasn't very fond and trusting of, of people. Um, so we're we're working on that and just trying to give him uh, a good place to live out the rest of his days.
1: Does he hang out with the hawk?
2: No, no, that would be a bad idea.
1: <laughs> would, would they, they get um, Would they get at each other?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, and uh, typically if they were in in, in a wild setting um the you know, the owl he's a eurasian uh eagle owl uh, uh-huh. a very large species of owl um but they will actually take hawks and stuff at, at nighttime. time they, they will kill them
1: uh, oh wow so okay i guess it's yeah. a good thing i don't have birds of prey then
2: yeah owls uh especially the bigger owls they're they're um they're, pretty formidable i uh you know messing with my hawk is is like dealing with a parakeet compared to to working
1: with that owl (laughs) is the owl something your wife wanted to get or did you go hey check this out look what we could have uh she's
2: always she's always liked the owls our our house is halfway decorated in in owls (laughs) um i i had a buddy let me know about this one uh in the situation and it was just kind of those in the, the moment it was like well you know can at least do a good thing and, and try to give this uh, this bird a better life because where the bird was being sold at um, if I wouldn't have got him chances are whoever got him would not have been experienced at all with, with any type of birds of praise and how to properly care for them um, so I tried to get in there and and, and get a hold of them before, uh, you know, somebody that uh, would have got in over their head.
1: How did you approach your wife with, hey, here's a crazy idea. I want to trap a falcon. How Are, are you okay with that? Uh, I've Be- had some time to soften her up on that one because I, <laughs> I originally
2: <laughs> took interest in falconry like eight years ago. Um, and when I looked into it and, and, you know, did my research and stuff and and contacted people at that time, I realized that, um, one, I didn't have really the proper space, uh, for it. And two, I knew at that time, I, I wouldn't have enough time to dedicate to the bird for it to be fair for the bird. Um, so I, I put it on the back burner until, um you know it was in a, a a point in life where i knew it was something i could do and and it wouldn't take away from the bird at all that i would have plenty of time to devote to it and, and do it right and uh, so by that time she was you know she already known something i'd want to do for years and years and so she's she's always been real supportive of of hobbies and whatnot
1: yeah i I could have had 18 years and if i looked at my wife and said hey i want to get a falcon she'd say uh no that's stupid well, over the
2: years I've had uh I've had alligators, I've had all kinds of venomous snakes. Um so, you know, the uh, the getting a hawk was was pretty pretty normal I would guess compared to some of the animals I've cared for. Yeah, you're a wild man. I I forgot about that. You you do you still have snakes and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh one of well now there's four of us. Um one of four People that are licensed in in the state to privately keep venomous snakes. Um, when I originally got my my license, I was only the second person in the state.
1: Wow! So, what do you? Is it just a hobby for you to keep them, or do you breed them, or get um, the anti venom and stuff like that out of them, or venom out?
2: No, uh, doing the anti venom is. There's already medical facilities that are established in that, uh-huh. so it's one of those things that's very hard um to get into even if you wanted to um for me it was more uh, I did a little bit of breeding um but it was just more of a uh, a fascination and a hobby that um I mean I had my first pet snakes and stuff when you know I was in like middle school I think um so it just you know it's been a lifelong thing that just kind of
1: grew and, and grew over the years. <laughs> Oh Boy, Uh, so for your falconry community, your group, do you guys go out and do exhibitions or anything for people just to kind of show them what falcons are capable of?
2: Yeah, we um, so we have, you know, the state association um, and we usually have a, a couple events a year. So we'll have one that we call the apprentice seminar, and it's specifically for uh people that maybe are considering being an, a, an apprentice or, or just wanting information. And so they can come in and uh, we just kind of sit and explain uh, the whole process, um, you know show them all the, uh, the equipment and all that stuff. And then we also have a couple other events throughout the year, which are hunting events. and the public is welcome. You know, they can come and we kind of pair them up. Um, with the falconers and uh, we take them out on, on hunts. They get to help, you know, beat the brush and uh, try to flush game for the birds and see the
1: birds in action see what it's all about. Is there a website that people could go to, to check that out?
2: Yeah. Um, it's the Ohio falconry association. Um, let me, pull up
1: If they just Google, actual... if they just Google Ohio, falconry association. it'll probably pop Yeah. Out.
2: You can Google um, that in the, the website itself is Ohio falconry.org.
1: And then you've also, I, I know last time I talked to you, you started a YouTube channel kind of going into the falconry stuff. Have you done any more with it?
2: Uh, n- not too much. Um, I think the last thing I posted up on there um, was a trapping video. Uh, took some clips of um, one of our trapping sessions I'm um, uh, meaning to get back on it I've just been uh, super focused with trying to get my bird um, going really well and, 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 and doing well um, so I've, I've kind of just haven't dealt with the hassle of, of you know taking my GoPro and, and everything else right yet but I'll, I'll have some, some new videos coming up on there
1: soon is there somebody on YouTube that maybe is like a a guru of falconry that if someone wanted to check some stuff out they could?
2: Um, there's a few good people. Um, one I, I really like um, his uh, YouTube channel is just it's Ben Woodruff. Um, he is a super super knowledgeable um, falconer, um, and he's got videos that cover a a wide variety of of topics Um, so you know he's a a pretty good one for learning um, you know various things Uh, there's not there's not a lot of really it's kind of part of why I started my channel my first video was I think my first video was a how to become a falconer video um, because I wanted to put something out there that uh, just dealt with that, you know, gave somebody the the blueprint to head in that direction if that's what they wanted to do. Um, yeah, there's a couple... Sure, because, I mean, the,
1: the beginning part of it, just getting all the registrations and the permits and stuff, I, I would have had no idea where to start with that.
2: Yeah, and it, and it's one of those things that um, not only, you know, because a lot of people, they'll, they'll go to the DNR website or what have you, and they'll They'll see, okay, well, i got to get a sponsor and this and that. And one of the worst things somebody can do is find a falconer and run up to him and be like, hey, will you sponsor me? Um, It's – because that person – I mean it's a big commitment to take somebody on for two years uh, and, and have to be involved with them. Uh, that that much especially for it to just be you know some random stranger coming up and saying hey will you sponsor me i want to be a falconer um, so you know we, we try to help people you know don't come right out the gate with that um, just ask to go on a hunt you know um, ask if you can go beat some brush uh, on a hunt and then pick their brain and um, go with some other falconers and, and and do it a few times you know get to know that person and see if it would be a good fit before you approach them about being your sponsor.
1: I, I don't know that I have any more questions at the moment. The, the falconry world is very interesting to me. I, I didn't know anything about it until I seen a, a video of you, you know, talking about it and showing off your birds a little bit. Uh, if I have more questions later, would you mind if we do another podcast?
2: No, not at all. I'd, 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 uh, enjoy doing another one and um you know it's one of those things that uh uh you start digging into it and you just end up with more and more questions so <laughs> I'm, I'm available anytime
1: yeah I'm, i've found myself getting into to rabbit holes here recently i just got into a big one with bigfoot so i gotta dig myself out of that one before i get into to falconry anymore
2: <laughs> I, I hear you
1: <laughs> hey brian i'll let you go thanks for your time i really appreciate it man yeah no problem thanks for that yep see ya I'm not sure if I'll be able to convince Leah to let me have one, but I've got a falcon that flies around my backyard all the time, and I may have to try to catch it. I don't know. We'll see. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation between me and Brian. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook, go over to 12Hike. Our Instagram page is 12 Hike Challenge. We've got a YouTube channel where I upload uh, additional video interviews if you want to go check that out. And be sure to visit our web store where you can get a hat, sweatshirt, t-shirt, sticker. I think Brad even made dog tags here recently.